Mark, the 10th chapter, 17th verse. How many of you here tonight share an interest in Revelations? Would you just lift your hand, share an interest in Revelations? All right. God has been dealing with us on a subject, and we're going to try to get to that before too long. I thought about starting it tonight, and my mind is not clear on some issue, and I don't like to start something that my mind is not clear on, that God hasn't really settled it. And, of course, I can take the commentaries and go by them, but those men are dead, (laughs) and they didn't see a lot of things that God is revealing to us today. And God spoke to me some time ago and said, it's not going to be like people think. It's not going to be like people think. And, uh, of course, Satan has deluded the minds of people, good, honest-hearted people, and they have presented a picture that actually most likely is not going to happen for the most part. But we want to deal tonight on a little subject that is just as serious as Revelations, however, not as intriguing. I'm going to start at the 17th verse and pick up an old familiar scripture. It could be called a parable. Jesus mentioned no names in it whatsoever. And he does that for a reason, because always when he speaks in areas and he just doesn't name the individual, he wants us to put ourselves in that individual's place. So that scripture reaches out, and it's not just good. See, we can't bury it back in the dust of the centuries of yesteryear. When he leaves it without a name, he means for us to place our name there as if he is speaking to us. And so the 17th verse says, this is right after he had blessed the children, says, And when he was gone forth unto the way, there came one running. I want you to remember that word running and kneel to him. Remember kneel and ask him. Remember that. Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus beholding him loved him. I like that. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lacketh, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and take up the cross and follow me. He was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around about, and saith unto his disciples, How hardly! Shall they that have riches enter unto the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his word, words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? That's so they would make no mistake there. See, their mind is like all of ours. Riches seem to dominate that day as it does our day. And Jesus is trying to meet that. He said, It's easier for camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure. In other words, they just simply could not understand it, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who can? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Father, we thank you for your word that's been written and preserved and brought to our day. We realize, Father, that your word means nothing as long as it's just words that's been penned. But, Father, they can become alive, and we pray that they do. We pray that you would bring anointing upon us. We might bring anything that's obscure, anything that lies buried. Let it become alive and let it be a reality to us tonight. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A lot of tragic little things happen in our life. They're tragic, but they're little. The little mistakes that we make, small details of our plans that go awry sometimes, 
few misused moments that we don't use as we should, the seemingly unimportant words at the time that we speak so thoughtlessly. All of that is tragic, but how much more tragic tonight than the one thing, the one thing which frequently mars an unblemished character, the one thing that a character that is shining brightly And there's one thing that mars that character. Otherwise than that one thing, it's unblemished. Or the one thing that makes shipwreck of one's spiritual life and casts the soul into hopeless eternity. One thing. So many of us rest secure in our Christianity. So many of us rest secure in where we're at and what we're doing. And we pray hopelessly sometimes, or hopefully, upon the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is a merciful God. Don't misunderstand that and don't underestimate him. He is a merciful God. You'll notice in those things that this young man was doing, it says Jesus beholding him loved him. In other words, he was able to see the shortcomings beforehand of that individual and he loved him. But there's one thing tragic about that young man, one thing that seems to decide his destiny. One thing that seems to seal his fate. And if we look at that on closer examination, we find some other things in his life which brought about the one thing. Now, probably in all of our lives, there's one thing that we wrestle against. Sometimes more than one thing, but usually in our life, one primary thing that God is seeking to get from us that he hasn't been able to get from us. And he beholding us loves us. Can you say, man, he loves us? And he loves us enough to tell us about our faults and our failures. Let us know sometimes that we can't skip merrily along and continue on in those things and still find ourselves in his kingdom. He lets us know that he loves us enough to point out our frailties, our weaknesses, our failures that dominate us. And all of us, I'm going to say again, has... Probably many things, but one particular thing that these many things produce. And there's a lesson in this for us, a lesson that's been been preserved for almost 2,000 years, that everyone that so desires can learn from that. And if you look at that, it was very descriptive of the way that young man came to Jesus. said, when Jesus was gone forth into the way, there came one running. In other words, the individual was desirous to get to Jesus. He didn't walk to him. He didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. But he heard that Jesus was coming forth in the way, and he came running to get in the presence of the Lord. Now, that's one good thing. I'm sure almost all of us at one time can look back upon our lives and we came running to Jesus. There was something in our life that wasn't right and we couldn't remedy it. And we heard from someone somewhere that Jesus passed by and that Jesus is still passing by and so we come running to him. I like to bring to my remembrance especially the first time that I came running to Jesus. I needed him. I needed him. There was something in my life that was lacking. The devil couldn't feel it. Flesh couldn't feel it. And I needed Jesus, so I came running to him. And this young man did the same thing. But if you'll notice here, he came running to him, but he lacked that which would cause him to remain. That one thing is important. Not the fact that he came running is not important, but the fact that this young man, after the story is borne out, lacked a total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ that would cause him to remain with him. In other words, when Jesus started demanding of him, you see, we demand the lock of Jesus, and he's always up to our demands. We demand that he cleanse us. He has to. By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we demand that he is sovereign of our problems, and he comes and he does. But in turn, Jesus has some demands of us. Not that we just run to him, but that we stay there. 
We need some stick power. We need some power that will make us stay there regardless of the demands of the Lord Jesus Christ on our life. I know of a lot of individuals that came running to him, seeing it overflowing in their life. Their character was blemished. They was on the road to hell and they knew it. Sickness ravaged their body or disease. Despondency and discouragement was theirs. And they heard about Jesus. And they come running to him. And as long as the corral was there, as long as the gatekeeper was there and nothing could interfere with her life and they had no battle with the enemy, they stayed. But when Jesus begins to make demands on their life, when Jesus begins to look at them as he did this young man and say, I need from you a total commitment. I need you to answer yes to me. Anytime I ask you for something, I need to hear you say yes. Anytime I ask you to go somewhere, I need to hear you say yes. Anytime I ask you to give up something in your life, I need to hear you say a resounding yes. In other words, I'm glad you're here, but I want to make it possible for you to stay. And you notice, number one, he came running to Jesus, but he lacked the commitment that kept him there. We're in a world of demands. Satan demands and we give. Flesh demands and we submit. But God help us to realize in the midst of all of this, God is making demands of our life. God is asking us for us. He doesn't ask for any more than you're able to give. He just asks for your life, for your body, for your mind, for your thoughts. And when he asks for that, he doesn't ask you for any big thing because what you are is what he wants because he intends to make something more than what you are. But he cannot do that except we are totally committed to him, except we believe him enough to know that whatever path he chooses for us to walk is a path that he has designed for us. Whether it be a good one, thorny, or whether it's flowery, and whether there's roses. He asked us to walk that, that total commitment. He asked the hard thing of this young man. He got to the nitty-gritty of what this young man really desired more than anything else in his life. I don't know that I'm troubled much by riches. I've never had it, so he can't ask me to give it up. So I don't know that I'm bothered by riches, and when they start talking about uh, the streets of gold, it doesn't interest me at all. I'm not all that interested in walking on streets of gold and seeing diamonds and pearls and gates made of rubies and all of that. I'm not really interested in that. I'm interested in knowing what it means, and I'm interested in seeing Jesus. But this young man's hang-up was his money. Now, that's not bothering me any. Money doesn't bother me any, but I do have a few things that he's asked of me in times past that was hard for me to give up. And he's still asking a few things today. But I find it hard to give up. And Jesus is still saying, now you came to me running when you had a need. And I salvaged your life. I mean, I dug way down deep into the uh, pile of cesspool of humanity and I picked you up because you run to me and now that you're here I want to make something out of you I want to make you what you ought to be and in order for me to do that I've got to ask you to turn loose of everything that you have that I might give you what I have growth depends upon our ability to shed our own flesh and our own thoughts and our own ability to believe God enough that he would sustain us in our crisis. God asks us, though we can't see it, for things and we don't see how our life is going to get along without it. But when you look at this young man, Christ demanded a lot from him, a lot more than that young man was able to give. And my question to us this evening is, has God asked us for something that we haven't given? You see, we could do the same thing that this young man is. He came running and he knelt before the master. In other words, he realized the sovereignty of God. He realized his omnipotence. He realized his greatness. 
and he called him good master. But kneeling before God is not enough. And you'll see that in here, but he lacked that which enabled him to worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, he lacked a total commitment to not only kneel before God and ask God to rid him of all the things that was bothering him, but he needed commitment enough to really believe that Jesus was his master. There is a challenge in the Bible that says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And that's the challenge God hurled and issued at this young man when he was kneeling down there. He called him good master. I called him a great teacher, but he lacked the humble obedience that was needed, which was due his divine teacher. You see, so many times we say God is our teacher, and God teaches us, but a teacher likes to be listened to. A teacher normally in school feels like they have failed if they don't get what they're teaching into the heart, mind, and soul of their student. Jesus feels the same way. And this is what he was asking out of this young man. You're calling me a master, and you're calling me a teacher. And you're here kneeling before me, and you run to me, and now I want to respect, and I want to reverence do me. In other words, are you willing to do what I ask you? That's respect that needs to be yet today. And remember now, we're talking about this young man, and you ladies can put yourself in that place. There's no name there, so we can insert ourselves there, and Jesus is asking us the same question. We stand and say, I love the Lord with all my soul. I believe that he is my teacher and he is my guide, and we kneel down before him and we call him good master. But do we as the young man lack the obedience that is due to him? When he says, this is what I want out of your life. He doesn't show us anything else but that. That's all. He doesn't show the young man anything else but the fact that he wanted respect. You see, lip service is no good to God. He doesn't pay one bit of attention to what you say from here. When you talk from here, he listens. <laughs> Hallelujah. He hears you when you talk from here. And when you say, God... Yes, yes, if you tell me that, I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to make application to that in my life. What a waste. What a waste of education. Should people just go and fill a school a desk and never learn and never respect the individual that is teaching them as knowing any more than they know themselves? This is what's caused thousands of young people to flunk out of school. They went only to occupy a desk. <laughs> Amen. Went only to crack a book a little bit. And for the most part, a lot of them thought they knew as much or more about life and about what the teacher was teaching as the teacher did. And so he did not get the respect that he needed. Jesus wants our total commitment. Jesus wants our respect in him enough. And might I add, Jesus wants respect Enough of those that he has called that when he demands through them due respect enough to listen and to do it. Yes. And this man came with an important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that an important question? Isn't that a question maybe that we all ought to ask ourselves tonight? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, I know the answer a lot of us would give. Repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the Holy Ghost. I know what you'd say. I know what's been said down through the ages. I know what I have said. But I found out that Jesus penned a little bit more after that. As he told us to let him be dominant in our lives and we should live a holy life, holy and acceptable in his sight. Which is just a reasonable service. So 
the young man asked the question well. Jesus answered him, and what was demanded of that day was obedience to the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And this young man came and said, Now, Master, I'm interested in eternal life. I want to know how I can live forever. I want to know how I can get beyond the grave. Now, how many of us tonight would like to have eternal life? We want to know what can happen in our life to make us, if we go to the grave, rise when the trumpet sounds, or if we live till Jesus comes, that we might live forever with Him. We want to know that. That's what our salvation is all about. The Apostle Paul said, If in this life only I have hope in Christ Jesus, I am among all men most miserable. Now somebody has said that if there wasn't anything more than this, I would still enjoy it. Now let me tell you something. If you didn't have any more promise than what you got, you wouldn't enjoy it. But you know the end of the book. That's why you enjoy what you've got because you know where it's taking you. But unless you knew the rest of it, Paul, you're disputing Paul's words when you say that because Paul said, if this is all, in spite of the revelations I've had, in spite of that meeting with Jesus on the road to Damascus, in spite of all of that, if I didn't have any other hope than this life, I would be a miserable person. And so this young man is wanting to know the important question and a question that was asked. But he knew enough to ask that question, but he lacked the faith which would make him willing to accept the answer of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now then we can get down on that young man. Somebody say amen. Am I just talking to me? Now we can get down on him. He says, it. what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's easy to ask the question. Sure it is. But it's hard to listen to the answer. And Jesus answered him, and remember what he says, then Jesus beholding him loved him. Now if he hadn't loved him, he wouldn't have demanded that thing that would keep him out of the kingdom of God. And because He loves us, He is demanding from us that one little thing that would keep us out of the kingdom of God. That one little blemish on our character, on our divine right with Him. The one thing that keeps us from being unspotted. And that one thing in this man's life was total commitment. <laughs> well... That's probably the one thing in our life is total commitment. This young man loved his money. He said, well, Lord, I've, <laughs> I've done all of these things you said from my youth up. Look how great I am. Sounds just like us when we plead the Holy Ghost and baptism in Jesus' name and repentance in the blood of Christ and stand there sin sane. Sounds just like us. And we say, but Master, I know what Peter said, and I've obeyed that. So I really do have eternal life, don't I? <laughs> but Jesus said, you still lack one thing. How can this be? When he had kept the commandments from his youth up. Wouldn't you just love to have a church full of people like that? I mean, you think of the stars that minister would give an individual that walked in here and said, well, I've done everything that the Lord told me to do. All ten commandments from the time I was a little bitty person. I've kept all of them. Can you imagine how proud a pastor would be? And how he would look at that individual and say, Boy, you're just who I need. Just come right on in here. I want to make you an elder. I want to make you a bishop. I'm going to use you, boy, because you have really fulfilled my agenda. But Jesus looked at him and said, That's not enough. 
that's not enough. And I've dealt with this on so many occasions in so many different ways. And it is astonishing that a merciful God that we portray as accepting anything in any way as refusing this man. I'll have to admit that when I stand and look at him like that in that realm, I don't understand Jesus. It could be because I have been introduced to a different kind of Jesus. A kind that is so loving and so pure and so merciful and so compassionate that he shuts his eyes to our sins and our mistakes. Same kind you've been introduced to. Amen? Same kind you've heard about. And yet here is Jesus, and Jesus beholding him loved him and said, you want eternal life, I want you to have it. But you lack one thing. Now that's all you lack, just one thing. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven but that's not enough now. Wait a minute. Sell all you have. I think that's where a lot of people has faltered and fell short. It's when God demands we give. But that's not enough. He said you don't only give it up, but you've got to take up the cross and follow me. In other words, let me fill the void of what was one time in your life with a cross-bearing thing. You see, it's not enough to come and, and listen when Jesus says, I want you to give this up. And we say, Lord, here it is. And we do nothing else about it. We're sitting there. We, we've emptied out, but we haven't filled up. Amen? I mean, we've given up, but we haven't replaced it with anything. And our life can't be sustained that way. And so Jesus says, if you'll do that, you're going to have treasure in heaven. In other words, you're not going to lose one dime. <laughs> Hallelujah. What you see here is nothing compared to the eternities of God. And he says, once you've given all that up, distribute it to the poor, I want you to take up the cross. And I want you to follow me. In other words, you're not just going to start with me. You're going to finish with me. What he is able to begin in our life, he is able to finish in our life. Well, there has to be a commitment. And this young man was willing to do. But he lacked a humility. And he lacked a faith to let God do what was impossible for him to do. And sometimes God brings us to the very edge, the same as he did that young man. And he pointed out an impossibility. As far as that young man was concerned, Jesus knew that it was not possible for him in himself to give up his riches. That's the reason he said, I want you to take up my cross and follow me and I'll teach you how to do this. And Jesus demands of our life, for the most part, impossibilities in our own realm. Things that we cannot do for ourselves. He does that on purpose. He beholding the young man loved him. In other words, his full intentions was to guide this young man into eternal life. God's full intentions tonight is to get us into his kingdom. It would tear his heart out if some of us didn't make it. It would sadden him when we failed to look at him and said, Yes, Master. Yes, Master. Yes, if that's what you say, I'll do it. Now, there's no way I can do it. But, Master, if you say it, I believe you will make it possible for me to do that. 
And most of the time, God brings us to the very edge of our abilities. And then he takes us beyond our abilities. For it is only then can we fully trust Jesus. It is only after he has taken us beyond our abilities, beyond what these hands contain, beyond where these feet can go, beyond what this heart and this mind can imagine. It is only then that we can put ourselves totally in his hands and say, Master, you said it, I heard it, I believe it, I don't know how it's going to happen, but you said it would, and I'm putting myself before you. He thought it, he had observed all the commandments, all of them. And on the surface, when you look at it, it looks like he did. But he lacked that first condition. And you can fulfill every commandment without being head over heels in love with Jesus. Without just placing our entire life before Him and say, Jesus, use me. Take me beyond myself. Take me past my abilities. Let me relax in Your arms. And when I've exhausted every measure, might I know I've got the cross I've got it there and I'm following you. And if there's any adversary in the way, you've got to move him. If there's any wall there, you've got to move it or get me over it. In other words, God, I'm in an area now that I can't even think for myself. That I can't even walk by myself. That I can't even talk by myself. I cannot obtain by myself. God, you've led me past myself now and I'm in an area that is completely beyond me. Oh, God, help us as Christians. And let not take us beyond the veil. Take us in the areas that our mind cannot think the thing. Our thoughts, there's no way we can do it. And we look around and we think, what in God's name am I doing here? God, I'm scared to death. I'm afraid all of this is too much for me. And God likes that. Because He's a Father. And he comes and he just takes us on his knee and puts our head close to his breast. And he said, it's fine. You're doing good. We're going to walk through this thing together. In other words, God's saying, I've got you finally where I want you. You have kicked against the pricks. You have argued. You've fussed and you've fought. And you've despaired and you've cried and you've moaned and you've begged. And finally... Finally, I've got you beyond yourself. <laughs> I've got you where there's no dependence. Now you can look to me. I'm going to see you through. But God let us know in that, that there has to be love. If you can't love Him, you can't fulfill His demands in your life. And love means more than saying that. And I'm not talking about the filial type of love which makes you fond of Jesus. Almost every Christian could say, I filio you or I'm very fond of you. Because most of us are. We're fond of Jesus. We're aware of what he did for us. But sometimes that's about as far as our love goes, just a fondness for Jesus. And he's asking greater things than that. And that greater thing he's asking is the agape or agape love, which is divine love, which will place ourselves in his disposal and say, God, I love you enough to believe you. You know, that's one thing that a father's ears like to hear. I raised four kids. I raised four teenagers, almost five teenagers at once. And you all know that they usually at that age get smarter than their parents. You know that. As well as I do, I did. And after a few years, I was surprised how much Dad had learned in those few years. <laughs> but most of us get, get smarter than our parents. But 
what always thrilled me was when they would come with a question and I would explain to them and to hear them say in no uncertain terms, Dad, I believe you. I trust your judgment. I'm going to do it. And that's what God is looking for. Somebody that expresses enough love and concern and has made enough commitment to Him, which is total commitment, just to look at Him and say, Jesus, I don't know why I'm where I'm at tonight, but I trust your judgment. I don't know why these things have befell me, but I trust your judgment. In other words, God, I'm beyond myself. I can't help myself. I'm in deep water. I can't swim out of it. And I have to have you. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. I don't understand sickness. I don't understand why some things hang on and almost like that some things go away. I don't understand why some people get healed of something and the others suffer through it. I don't understand that. But God never asked me to understand Him because He's higher than I am and deeper than I am and wider than I am. All He asked was for me to trust Him. That's what He asked of this young man. He said, you don't have to understand why you have to get rid of your money. You just have to believe that I know what's going to give you eternal life. So this young man again professed an admiration for Christ. He looked at him and admired him, but there's one thing he didn't have. That was enough confidence in Christ and necessary enough to become a follower or a disciple. You see, he came to him, but when Jesus left, the young man didn't follow him. And you see, a lot of Christians, maybe some of us, that when we come running to Jesus, and he expounds what is necessary in our life, and then Jesus moves on, a disciple is to follow him without Christian believing him. And so he came with an admiration of Christ. Oh, Jesus, I love you. And I'm not going to deny any of our admiration for Christ. I'm not going to do that. But you know, there's a difference between admiration and love. Yes, there is. I've seen a lot of ladies I admired, but I just love one. You got that, did you? Amen. It does make a difference. And this young man admired him enough to come and kneel down and ask him a question and all of that. But he didn't have confidence enough in Jesus to follow him. You've got to remember, he said, Jesus beholding this young man loved him. And he said, you lack one thing, you've got to go sell all you have and you've got to take up the cross and you've got to follow me. Follow me. You notice that word? you got to follow me. You can't just come to me. you got to follow me. The world is in difficulty tonight. Christians are in difficulty tonight because they just want to run to Jesus. Get their problems solved. Get their little uh, uh, feelings took care of. Get a little pat on the back. And have Jesus to tell him everything is all right. But Jesus doesn't do that. Humanity might do that. You might even find ministers that will do that. But Jesus is still declaring there's something needed in our life. Doesn't mean he doesn't love us. It means he does. So he came. And he knelt. And he inquired. And he listened. Notice that? But he lacked that determination by which he would have taken up the cross and eventually would have obtained a crown of life. A world is filled. If you had every individual that came to this church at one time since its foundation and knelt, and inquired and listened 
and they had had the determination to believe Jesus and to follow him, this whole two or three lots wouldn't hold it. But you've had a lot of young men that came and knelt and inquired and listened and run and knelt and inquired and listened and lacked the determination that when the going got rough, fell by the wayside. Almost all of them felt like they had a reason. I haven't talked to any backslidden Christian but what they're blaming somebody or something for their backslidden state. And once they get out of that and start blaming themselves, they can find a renewal in Christ. But as long as they hide behind somebody else, they're never going to find a renewal in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you pamper them. It doesn't matter how much you pet them until they come to grips with themselves and say within their own life, I did not have what it took to listen to what he said and what had to be in my life and out of my life in order to follow him. I did not have what it took to be a disciple. There was something brought me to him. There was something made me kneel. There was something that made me ask. There was something that made me listen. But I halted at that. I quit when Jesus looked at me and said, This has to be out of your life. It can't stay there any longer. It's got to be there. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with it being there. The devil is so subtle that he can make us think we're so religious that they couldn't possibly be anything in our life that Jesus didn't like. You know how we approach him a lot of times. Lord, you just look at me. Here's the prime example of a great Christian. <laughs> oh, I know you say, I don't do that, but yes, you do. Yes, you do. I know. I had a lady in the church one time said, Oh, I'm just the humblest of humble and the weakest of weak. And all the time she thought she was this yay above everybody else. You can look at it. But there comes time in our life when we stand before God with all the things we've done and what has been accomplished in our past life and all the good things that God has done for us and then all those beautiful things that we've done for God. Lord, do you remember when I prayed and that individual was healed? <laughs> do you remember when I went out of my way to witness to that individual? That's well, fine and good. But God still says to all of us, you've still got something wrong with you. <laughs> There's still something wrong inside. You've got to get something out of it. So all is necessary. Not one thing can be missing in our life or in the life of the church or else perfection or maturity is impossible. You cannot have a blemish and be perfect. The Bible tells us that he is coming. He didn't say he was coming to make it. He said he is coming for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, or any such thing. In other words, Jesus, when he comes, is fully expecting for the power of the Holy Ghost to already have cleansed us and washed us and made us spotless. He doesn't intend to do a thing when he comes except receive us. This is our dressing room. He isn't bringing our dressing room with him. He's provided us with one. And when we come out of that dressing room, he expects us to be what he wants and what he's coming for and what he shed his blood for. And so we need every spot and every wrinkle and every blemish if we want perfection in our life. I've noticed this a few times, and I've said it a few times, but I've wrote it down so that I can get the fullness of it. In a rehearsal of a great symphony orchestra, Sir Michael Costa was conducting this. The voices of the chorus was, filled, was filling the building. They were singing. There was the thunder of the organ. There was the rolling of the drums, the ringing tones of the cornets. The clashing of the cymbals, 
All the beautiful notes that come from the stringed instruments all combined to make splendid harmony. To the untrained ear, there was nothing missing. And all at once, right almost in the middle of that great thing, the conductor Costa says, Stop! And they immediately stopped and shut it down and waited for the reason why this great conductor of this great symphony would stop it right in the midst of its production. And he looked around and he says, where's the sound of the piccolo? Piccolo is a mighty small instrument, doesn't make much noise. But to the trained ear of that conductor, that one little noise was missing. It wasn't there. And so the beautiful harmony that everybody else was enjoying, to that trained ear, he could not enjoy it because there was one part of it missing. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Him when almost everything else has come together. God is still looking down at the smallest of the smallest and saying, Where's Hoshka? Where is Brother and Sister Walton? Where is Brother Rousey? Where is Brother Dinsel? Where is that that should be there? In other words, I can't perfect this thing without it. I've got to have their voice. I've got to have their life. And if you ever at any time entertain the idea that you was not important in God's great orchestra, you're wrong. He stops the whole thing until he waits to hear from you. Amen. And the orchestra will not strike up again until the piccolo is there. So perish the thought that you don't matter. Perish the thought that what you do or what you say or what you might be doesn't matter. It does. Because if God is perfecting His body and you are of the body of Christ, it is important that He perfect the body together. And until every one of us comes to the fullness of maturity, His body is not perfect. There most probably will come a time when God sees that some things are just not going to be perfected. He will not com continue to entertain. He'll cut it off if it's hindering the body and he'll graft in again. Because it's God's full intention to perfect us. All the grand peals of that music, the great conductor missed the tiny note of the piccolo. To him, the whole thing was imperfect. So it is with God and his people. Whether you want to realize or not, God is a perfectionist. My wife gets on to me and says, oh, you're too much of a perfectionist. Can you be? I doubt it. In closing, Mark 10.22 says, And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. All he had was what these eyes could see. God says now, Jesus says, Now then, if you'll just give them all away, I'm going to show you a treasure. That'll outshine all of it. But you see, he missed his opportunity to see what God had for him because he wouldn't give up what he had for himself. And a lot of individuals are missing the opportunity to see what God has for them because we're so encumbered with the things we have gained ourselves. And as long as our treasures remain primarily the light of our life, we can never see the treasures of Jesus. Never. As a saying, the rich are not always godly, but the godly are always rich. I'm going to close with the reading of this poem by Edith Young. This lady had nothing.
But yet in her eyes she seemed to have all things. So they came to her one time, and they was talking to her about being poor. Looked around, and in the eyes of man, of course, she must have been. But in thinking about that and hearing so many people refer to her as poor, she penned a poem. She said, poor? Of course not. Why, how can I be when Christ the King is taking care of me? Tired? <laughs> Sometimes, yes, more than tired. But then I know a place where I can rest again. Lonely? Oh, yes. I know the aching blight. But now I have Jesus with me day and night. Burdens? I have them. Off they press me sore. And then I just lean a little harder. And I trust a little more. Were they all know? The marvel it is, the marvel of it is, that I should know such boundless love as his. And so I'm rich with Christ. I'm a joint heir, since he once stooped my poverty to share. Poor? With these world's goods, maybe. But the question still rings and has in closing all down through the quarters of time and halls of eternity. Every soul has asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there has been so many answers. And yet as far as I am concerned, Jesus left only one. Sell all you have. He didn't mean for us to go sell our houses and our farms. He was simply indicating by that that he wanted all of us. If he has given you a good job, let that job work for him. If he has given you a little money, let that money work for him. If he has given you a prayer life, let that life work for him. If he has... Uh, uh, given to you the ability to witness, let that work for him. In other words, whatever talents you have, let them work for Jesus. And let him again take you past yourself. Let him get you into that sea that one of the prophets of old was bid to come and take a measuring line. And he went out in it and he came up to his ankle. And he wouldn't let him stop there. He kept on. Came up to his knees. He couldn't stop there. Came up to his thighs and on and on until the prophet of old said, He brought me in the rivers of swimming water. In other words, my feet can't touch terra firma anymore. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm out here. And I can't swim, God. <laughs> I can't swim and I'm out here. Well, if Peter could walk on the water with Jesus, so can we.